turn in your Bibles, please, to Psalm 23. We're going to be doing a series through Psalm 23. Uh, it's a short uh, passage, and it's going to be a three-sermon series. And so today, we're going to look sp- particularly at verses 1 to 3 to start the series. And so Psalm 23, when you get there, uh, I'm going to read it aloud, and I'm going to read the entire psalm, uh, all six verses, and then we'll dive into the first three this morning. So Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So Psalm 23, uh, verses 1 to 3 this morning. I don't know, uh, I thought of it as we were greeting each other this morning. Um, it wasn't a trick. I wanted to start the service asking you this question, and as we greeted each other, wondering, when someone asks you, how are you, how do you typically respond? You know, right? Good. Maybe some people say busy, but often the time it's, uh, it's good. At best, maybe busy. And so, uh, probably one of the most common introductions ever, I've even tested at times, um, just for fun. You know, sometimes you'll get it at the catch register, and you've got your groceries, and they say, did you find everything you're looking for? And you'll say, nope, and they're like, good. And uh, anything else we can help you with? And they're not listening, right? They're like, how are you? Um, well, not very good, kind of needy today. All right, yeah, fantastic. And we're so used to, right, hearing, how are you? Good, and we just rattle it off, um, that it seems normal. In fact, I would say no one wants to be needy. If you say, how are you, and someone says needy, that can be scary, Uh, If you're the one saying, uh, well, actually, I'm pretty needy, if I was honest, that would be maybe depressing or maybe even like a little embarrassing, right? How are you? I'm needy. No one wants to talk to that person. But it's true this morning. We're needy. And when David wrote Psalm 23, about 3,000 years ago, it was true then. It was true for him. And so David, who wrote this psalm, he spent his younger days as a shepherd. He later, in his older years, uh, became king of Israel What's interesting to me in Psalm 23 is he doesn't mention about being king. What he says very clearly is he is a sheep. King of Israel, David, a helpless, wandering, weak, cowardly, stupid, needy sheep. Not a shepherd, not a king, but he is a sheep. And the message of Psalm 23, verses 1 to 3, is crystal clear. David says, my shepherd... My shepherd cares for, gives rest to the needy. Is it actually true this morning? Is, can rest be found for, for us? We're so needy. Can rest come today? Could it be today? Like maybe tomorrow, but actually could, could rest come to you today? Maybe after what you've lost, what you've been uh, through, what's been taken from you. You say, I don't think it's possible to get rest anymore. Maybe you don't have answers, and maybe you never will. And if you never do, can you still rest? Is this actually possible? Is this just a poetic psalm, or is it true? 
If things don't change, if they get worse, can you find rest? And the Lord tells us very plainly today that the answer is yes. My shepherd provides rest for the needy. So how are you this morning? Are you needy? How are you? Do you feel your neediness? Do you know it? Are you fighting against it? I want to tell you this morning, same thing I need to hear this morning, is that there is hope for the needy. My shepherd provides rest for needy people, for needy sheep. Praise the Lord. This brings us to our first point through this passage, and this is this. My shepherd provides rest by providing himself. My shepherd provides rest, and he does that by providing himself. Look at verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. One of the most memorized verses, really, in Scripture. One of the most popular uh, poems in all of Scripture, in Psalms. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But in Israel, it's very similar to now. The temptation for Israelites was to talk a lot about our God, our Lord, but never my God and my Lord, my shepherd. And isn't that the temptation now? How many people have I seen even testify in the baptism tank to say, I knew a lot about God, I knew a lot, I I believed it, but he was not my God. He was not my shepherd. They weren't saved. See, the demons believe in God, and Scripture tells us that they are terrified. They shudder. They literally get chills. And they're still demons. Is the Lord my shepherd? Is the Lord your shepherd? We need to repent of any attempts on being our own shepherd, of being holy in our own efforts, of choosing the path that's right for us, of trying to make right what's gone wrong, of covering our guilt and shame, being driven by our our lusts for pasture and for water. We need to admit that we are a sheep. We need to admit that it's true. I am needy. I am a sheep. I am sinful. I am helpless in my sin. I am dead in my sin. And repent of my sin. Repent and believe in my Lord, Jesus Christ, the shepherd of our soul, the only shepherd of any soul, Jesus Christ, and to believe in that name, to trust in him alone, to enter his flock and none other. There is only one flock to enter, to be fed by him, receiving living water, guided, governed, satisfied, protected, loved by him. And when that happens, we find rest. But is he my shepherd? Is he your shepherd? If you can say this morning, truly, yes, it is true. I've come to trust in Christ. Then you need to do what I need to do every day. And even now, even as I preach, remind myself who I am. I'm a sheep and I am desperately needy. And then to remind myself of who I am in Christ. And whose I am in my shepherd. He is my shepherd. And who is this shepherd? You look at verse 1. Do you see there what he says? Who is this shepherd? The Lord. The Lord. Now look at how Lord is spelt in your Bibles. It's probably spelt all caps. Why? Because that's when they translate the name Jehovah or Yahweh, they would write it Lord, all caps. Yahweh is my shepherd, is what David is saying. Yahweh. Yahweh, why would he say Yahweh? Yahweh is the covenant-keeping God. He keeps his promises. He's this God that is ever-present and personal, covenant-keeping God. That God, 
Not just a God, not a God I know about, but my personal God is my shepherd. And this God is the one that we know to be eternal. He is the creator. Let me tell you some things about our God, our shepherd. He is the sustainer of all things, literally holding me together even as I preach. Literally holding you together so that you can make it through the sermon. He literally holds all things together. He is merciful and gracious and good and all-wise and all-powerful. This is our God, Yahweh. He is all-knowing. He is all-present at all times. He is true and unchanging, and He is King, and He is returning soon. And this is my shepherd. That is mind-bending. It's, it's, not even, it's not even fathomable. I have a shepherd like that? How is this possible? We say by grace. If Yahweh is your shepherd then, then Yahweh is the one that's relieved your guilt and your shame. Only Yahweh then is your guide. Only Yahweh is your protector. Not you, not someone else. He is your caregiver and your provider. And do you know what? When you go to sleep at night then, tonight, it's still true. And later when we look at the valley of the shadow of death, who is your shepherd? Yahweh. Always, forever, meeting every single need you would ever have. Amazing. And this is why David says, verse 1, Yahweh is my shepherd, therefore, look what he says, I shall not want, I shall not be in want. What he's saying is this, I, I shall not lack anything. I have all that I need supplied. Supplied. The only time the needy can ever say, ever say, I'm good, I have no want, is when they can say, I have my shepherd. Scripture is clear. That is the only time that you can say, truly, I have no need. Because we are needy. And we feel it. I feel it. Until he comes. But the Lord is my shepherd. So I have no need. Now maybe for you, maybe you've, you've been going after the Lord then. You, you, you even would say right now, Kyle, I know these things. I believe these things. These are good to be reminded of. But you know what? I'm going after God. I'm studying my Bible. I'm praying. I'm fasting. I'm here at church. I try to be consistent. I'm, I'm going into a small group. And I am still needy. I still have all these fears. I have these uh, desires, these unmet needs. Well, I'll give you one example. Well, to say first, I'll, I'll wait for that. Um, I feel the same way. Now, what you want to be cautious in is this. Do not fast and pray and read your Bible or come to church to get results. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You do those things, and please hear me, always to get God. That is a massive difference. Do you know the Pharisees were trying to um, do these things as well? I do these things to get God. John Owen uh, says it this way. He's a Puritan, and this is a paraphrase of his own words. Uh, he says this, We look at spiritual disciplines that are meant to be streams, so fasting, prayer, 
right? Studying your Bible, church. These are meant to be streams. And he says, we look at them as if they were the fountain. Who is the fountain? Jesus Christ is the fountain. That who is, that's who's the fountain. My shepherd doesn't just provide a rest through fasting, praying. Yes, this is important and vital. Through small group, Bible study, the rest of it. He provides, please hear this, he provides these things through himself. So when you look to these disciplines to provide rest, you look just to them, you will be left wanting. But if you go to them as streams to find the fountain, it's infinitely different. Because when you have Christ, you have rest. Now, back to what I was saying. We are easily distracted, consumed with our needs. I had not too long ago, I think it was about five years ago, I found myself in, the, in Oakville, in the GTA, crying out to God for wisdom. What do I do? Why am I here? I look out my back uh, door into my yard. The yard is about the size of this mat that I'm standing on right now. Houses, just brick everywhere. I had a row of houses, townhouses, and at the end, another one. <laughs> and I cried out to God and said, God, you need to get me out of the GTA. I need to get out of here quickly. I grew up in a small town, Saskatchewan. I'd like something fairly similar to that. How many people live in the GTA? I think it's like 14 million or something like No, seven. 14 in Ontario. Seven million people? Does it even matter after that? Three billion people. There's a lot of people, right? And I'm saying, God, get me out of here. Now, maybe for you, maybe, now that was that season. I have other struggles now. Other things that, 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 that fight to consume my thoughts and my heart and my desires. Maybe for you, maybe it's, it's something different. Maybe it's not I need to get out of the GTA. Maybe it's Brantford. Maybe not. Maybe it's just I need a holiday. Maybe you're saying that, holiday season, I just need money. Not a lot of money, just seriously, I just need some money. I need a better job or a better spouse. Or maybe today you're saying, I need a better kids. You're consumed with that. Maybe you feel like you need better health. Or maybe uh, you've gone to someone, or someone's gone, come to you, and they've said something similar to this. And surely this has happened to all of us. And I've found myself even being that person at times. I'm in such need. Maybe I'll say, you have no idea what I've been through what I've lost, what we're in currently, what's coming our way. I need professional help. I, I, I need medication. I need these things. My thought, my immediate thought, and your immediate thought needs to be, you need the shepherd. Not that these needs don't matter, but you need the shepherd to understand what you really need. You can get um, a new washer or dryer, and I think I'd mentioned this last time. There's probably some deep-seated fear because I keep mentioning this as an illustration. If I give washer illustrations for the rest of my life, forgive me. If they work, then praise God. But here's another one. You have your new washer, and we have one, finally. And uh, <laughs> finally, my wife's like, finally. And your washer breaks, and you say, I have this need. My washer's broke. Let me tell you what happened. You know, and there's a bazillion things, I'm sure. Maybe the display's broke, the cycle won't work. Uh, maybe it's hit by a meteorite. It doesn't, but here's the thing, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter how bad the need is with the washer if you have what? If you have the right warranty, which I don't think exists for illustration's sake, you've got the lifetime, unlimited, no strings attached, super awesome, 
perfect warranty. If that's the case, it doesn't matter how many meteors have hit your washing machine, we're good. You can rest. Don't get focused on the needs. We've got the warranty. The same is similar here what David says. He says, and I'll say it again, the Lord is my shepherd. And then hear this, because the Lord is my shepherd. That's what's true. That's what I have. I do not have want. Yes, I am needy. I am terribly needy. But I have my shepherd. Yahweh is my shepherd. So I don't need to get out of the GTA. I'd like to. Brantford right now is not technically called the GTA. Three more days it probably will be. Right? I don't need to get out of the GTA. Right? I, I, don't, I don't need that. He's preparing a place for me. Do you know that was one of the comforts that got me through that time? God, you were preparing a place for me. I am good. I will rest in that. I do not need money. I have all that I need in Christ. All that I need has been supplied. If you are in Christ, you are infinitely blessed, as blessed as Christ. And I have an inheritance to come. I don't need a better job. I've got one given to me by the shepherd, and it's to glorify his name. There is no better job. That is unbelievable. No matter what you do here on earth, that is your main job. You have a job, and it's awesome. You don't need a better job. I need a better spouse. Remember, you're married to Christ. Your spouse needs Christ. You need Christ. I need better kids. You remember, I'm a child of God, and every opportunity my kids, to discipline my kids, or my kids are crazy, it's to point them to their Heavenly Father. I don't need a holiday. I'm waiting for glory to come. And my shepherd gives me rest now, today, in him. I don't need a holiday. My shepherd provides rest for the needy by providing himself. David makes it clear. Second, my shepherd provides rest by providing restoration. Look at verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Okay, he, he makes me lie down in green pastures. The idea is he stretches me out. I can kick up my heels, hands behind my head. I'm in the pasture and it's green. And if you're a sheep, that means food. It means you have what you need. It's been supplied. He says, besides still waters. Some translations may say, a waters of rest. Maybe, maybe a better way of saying, more true to the original text, waters of rest or waters of quiet. The idea is it's peaceful and it's safe. It's clean water. Absolutely love that picture. You can tell why. I'm not really a city boy. So this picture right here, I'm like, that's fantastic. I like that picture. You know, I smell the, the grass, right? The water. It's calm. It's quiet. There's like nothing better. Isn't it interesting, these advertisements for the new homes? What's nine times out of ten the picture on the advertisement for a new home? Is it a picture of a bunch of crammed homes in like the inner city? And like with loud neighbors and like garbage everywhere? No. They won't show you the home, although this morning I did see an ad where they did show you the home, and I was like, ah, that's too bad, because that wrecks my illustration. Most of the time, they'll show you what? Green pastures and still waters. That's what they're showing you. It's like two people in a field by a big tree somewhere, like all the time. Someone walking a dog, you're like, what does that have to do with a home? 
But that's what we want. We want that peace and that quiet. That's what's refreshing. And he says here, look at verse 2. He says, he restores my soul. Right, the whole person. He's not just saying he, he saves my soul and, and saves me from hell. He's saying he restores my soul. Who I am, he restores that. We want holistic healing. Here it is. He restores my person. My soul is restored. The idea with restoration is being brought back. So if you're into restoring cars, this is the time where, where you bring the car forward on display and you say, it's been restored. It's back to its original. The way it was intended to be built and look, there it is, restoration. And that's what David is saying. My father-in-law's bought a 69 Chev. I think it's a Chev, right? Ford? Chev? You keep doing this. That's not helpful. It's a 69 vehicle. The point is, is I can't restore it. Okay, that's out of my league. Obviously, I don't even know what kind of vehicle it is. Out of my league, here's the thing, is that look at who does the restoration, though. Look, he says, he makes me, he leads me, he restores me. Okay, so we'd say, okay, he does the restoration, it's out of my league, I can't restore myself. But isn't it tempting to say, I know where to get green grass. I can spot green grass. I can spot still waters, right? That's easy. I'm not colorblind. I can do that. I got Google Maps. I can find water, and I got the weather network. I can figure out when it's calm. I can find this stuff. But it's a lie. That's a temptation. We say restoration comes from the Lord, but we think it comes from us. We think, actually, well... I mean, I can do it, and then the Lord can help me. It's not true. It comes from him very clearly. He makes, he leads, he restores. I cannot get where I need to get to. I cannot get things back to, way, to where they need to be. I can't turn back time. I can't make it right. I can't be forgiven. I can't remove guilt. I can't know for sure I'm right with God. I can't do that stuff. That is the work of God. I need restoration. You and I need restoration, but we need way more than just good eyesight in Google Maps and the weather network. We need a shepherd. You can be sure of this. Rest will only come when you are restored by the shepherd. That's the only time it's going to come. Please hear me. The Lord's made it so clear. Rest will only come, you can be sure of this, when you are restored by the shepherd. I want to give you three pitfalls then to avoid when seeking restoration. If that's true, here's some pitfalls to avoid. The first is this, seek restoration from the shepherd, not a place. Seek restoration from the shepherd, not a place. Now, the shepherd's job was not just to purchase a sheep or purchase a flock. Sorry, hey, I've got this flock. That's my flock. I'm kind of a big deal. The shepherd's job was to purchase a flock and then to shepherd the flock, to bring them to the place in the, in the right place, and the right time to care for every one of their needs. That's the picture being given here. It is exhausting to try to meet your own needs, to try to be restored by particularly a place. Restoration will not come from a place. Often we find ourselves saying things like, if I can just get back to, and we mention a place, if I can just get retirement and get my leisure back, or no, I'm just consumed with this, this midlife crisis I'm going through. I just need my youth back. I need my health back or that relationship back. 
I need peace back. I need my confidence back. Or maybe we say things not, um, I need a new place, but maybe it's, I need to stay where I'm at. I don't want anything to change. I'm not moving. There's no way I would go and do that. There's no way I would go and say that. I'm staying right here. This is peaceful. This has worked. And we say, I'm going to stay. And the problem is, is with sheep that are to be shepherded, if the sheep finds green pasture, and he's like, meh, this is awesome, right? Because that's how sheep talk. So he's there, and he's loving life. If he focuses on the place, he's dead. And David knew this. They had seasons. There was deserts. The shepherd needed to take them at seasons and times to different places. If they got stuck on the place, they would die. Restoration did not come from the place. It came from the shepherd that brought the place. Infinitely different. Trust in him to restore you, not the place. Second, seek restoration from the shepherd, not the sheep. Remember, sheep are herd animals. When we uh, listen to the psalm, if you're like me, you read it, typically you picture yourself. You're all alone. Well, you're with a herd. Sheep are herd animals. And it's super easy to look around the herd and try to find restoration from someone else. Maybe you say things like, you know, I have this love tank that keeps running empty and, and you need to speak my love language in order to restore me or fill me up again. You know, and if you would just uh, give me the right gifts and the words of affirmation and acts of servants, phys- physical touch, quality time, whatever it is, then I would have a restoration. My, my tank would be filled up. And I'll tell you this, that stuff is not evil. It's not wrong. In many cases, I'd say healthy relationships have it. But I want, I want to be clear, that will not restore you. And it is exhausting to try to be restored by someone in those ways. And it is doubly exhausted to try to restore someone by meeting those needs. It doesn't come from me. It doesn't come from you. It comes from the shepherd. He tells us very clearly through Scripture, He is the bread of life. He is the living water. He is the fountain. He is the one that restores. So trust the shepherd to restore you, not the sheep. A third is this, a third pitfall to avoid. Seek restoration from the shepherd, not yourself. Seek restoration from the shepherd, not yourself. Uh, Sheep are prone to wander. That's why they need to be herded and shepherded. They, They tend to wander off. And you might have a sheep that wanders off, and, you know, he makes it. He gets pretty lucky, and he makes it uh, through the night. He actually stumbled upon some green pasture, and it's actually not a bad place. The waters are pretty quiet, and he starts thinking, you know what? I've, I've got this together. I'm pretty self-sufficient and capable, but we know that he won't last. That sheep is dead, and the, the more in danger he is, is the longer that he thinks and fools himself to think, you know what? I'm good. I've got this but it won't last, and we tend to do the same. I tend to think of myself far more highly than I ought. I tend to think of myself by looking at myself. And it is exhausting. It is exhausting to look for restoration from myself. The culture is cramming this down our throats. A godless culture. There's no shepherd. You're your own shepherd. You're your own leader. Be a better you. Be strong. Believe in yourself. Listen to your feelings. Follow your heart. 
My kids have been trained on that follow your heart phrase. If, if like it's said in a movie or something, a small riot breaks out in our house. I'm like, it's okay, children. It's a lie, but calm down. They're like they're lifting up tables and stuff. They're like, no, right? Don't follow your heart. That's crazy talk. But it is crazy talk. Follow your heart straight to the pit of hell. We need the shepherd. We desperately need the shepherd. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says this, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You must trust in the shepherd to restore you, not yourself. You will be left exhausted if you try with yourself. Restoration came through Jesus Christ who became a sheep to take the place of sheep, to die for sheep, to live a perfect life for the sheep, to resurrect wandering sheep. My shepherd provides rest for the needy. He does it by providing himself. He does it by providing restoration. And third and finally, he does it by providing right paths. My shepherd provides rest by providing right paths. Look again at verse 3. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Paths of righteousness. Literally, he leads me in right paths or right tracks or like right uh, trenches. He leads me in those. I've said it before. Anytime that you go down the path of sin, and I don't know why this struck me so much so when a friend of mine told me this, anytime it doesn't go well. It is bad, Kyle. Why is that so profound? I think because in my heart I think, well, this isn't so bad. It, it might not work out too bad. It's, it's not the best, but it could. No, any time, any time you take the wrong path, you take sin, it leads to hell. It's not, there's no kind of a middle ground. It's going down or you go for God in righteousness and right paths, it's going to him. We say things like that person's on the right track or maybe they're off track. We use this language. You ever notice on school properties where they have tracks for kids, right? The students, you've got sidewalks and walkways and there's always one spot, isn't there, where someone's always, everyone's cutting across the path? Does, that must just drive custodians up the wall, right? Like the whole year, they're like, what do you do? Well, I'm a, I'm a custodian and why don't they stay on the path, Right? You've already spent your whole life trying to keep people and the whole year, certainly, just stay on the path. It's literally made of concrete. Like, why do you keep going through there? But that's what happens. We try to keep people on the right paths. And this is fine in a sense. But here's what you need to know is just staying on the right track, just simply walking in righteousness will not give you rest. Did you know that? You will not find rest. Even if you were to obey all the Ten Commandments, perfectly. Let's say somehow you, you did as Christ and you live perfectly. It will not give you rest. Did you know that? You will not find your rest in trying to obey God perfectly. It cannot come from it. Look at verse 3. Why do I say that? Verse 3 says, He leads me. He leads me. I want to illustrate then what I mean. He leads me means 
I have my shepherd. He leads me in right paths. Not flipped, I have right paths. And yeah, of course I have a shepherd. Stop asking me if I have a shepherd. Of course I love the shepherd. No, no, no. They always go together. I have a shepherd and he leads me. I know him. To illustrate this, if you train like an Olympian, I don't know if anyone's doing this. I doubt it. I know I'm not. You train like an Olympian. You eat like an Olympian. You rest like an Olympian. You work out like an Olympian. There's going to be some serious blessing from doing that, for sure. You're going to be healthier, stronger, the rest of it. But it will not make you an Olympian. You'll not be on the Olympic team. There'll be blessing from it, for sure. You won't represent your country, though. It won't happen. It can't just by training like an Olympian. When the Lord leads you, He always does it. And look at verse 3. He does it for the same reason. Many paths, and it's always the same reason. Look, for His namesake. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. That's where rest comes from. I am the Lord's. My life is for His glory. Not I'm just doing these things and and trying to be a better person. It's infinitely different. He says, I lead you in these paths and it's for my namesake. Namesake is glory or honor or renown or you could say fame. I had a friend ask me once, he's like, you keep talking about glory. You keep saying like, do things for the glory of God. And he's like, I like that. That sounds great. But like, what does that mean? Have you ever had a time where someone asks you a question, you've been saying something and they're like, yeah, what do you mean by that? And you're like, oh no, this is that moment where I was like, I don't, I'm not sure exactly, but it's good and you need to keep doing it, right? Like, right, we, we talk about glory all the time. What does it mean to give glory? So I want to give you um, my simple definition to that. In my life, when I think of glory, I think of this. I think God is God and he doesn't need anyone to pump his tires. He is God. And my job in my life is, is to have a magnifying glass and hold that up to God, my shepherd. Do you see my shepherd? And whether that's to you, to other people, or whether that's to myself, my job is to look to him in all things, to see him in all things, to pursue him in all things, and to bring others to pay attention to him, and then to get out of the way. Most of my life, bringing glory to God meant, um, yeah, I do things for God, but I was so consumed with myself that I was getting in the way. It was like, here's God, but then like, but what do you think of me? Do you still think I'm special? Right? And, and the less you do that, the, less you, the more you get out of the way and the more that you uh, put the magnifying glass to God, that's when you are giving glory to God, fixing your mind on Him and others' minds on Him. So here's three reasons why living for God's glory brings rest. I want to close with these uh, applications. And so the first is this. He is worthy. He is worthy. When I have the shepherd and I rely on him to give me rest, then I am living for his glory. And when I live for his glory, I find that he is worthy. His name is above every other name. Again, he doesn't need me at all to, to build up his fame. He is already infinitely high. So when I'm tempted to think if only I was a foreign missionary, then I'd really be able to give glory to God. Right? If only I was in full-time ministry, or if I was a famous, if I was a professional athlete, if I was that Olympian, 
if I was more popular uh, with school uh, or, or with, with my kids or if I was respected by my spouse, I mean, then I could really give glory to the Lord. And it's a lie. He is worthy enough. He doesn't need our worth. And it is exhausting to try to build your worth in order to represent Him. Christ alone makes you and I worthy. Christ alone makes us worthy by bearing our sin, giving us His righteous life, that He crediting that to us, that He earned for us, and raising us one day from the dead. You can rest in that. You know, <clears throat> some of my, I think, my kids may attest to this too, my most... Um, profound moments as a father was not nailing it to show how worthy I was and how worthy the kids were to have such a great father. It's when um, I sinned. I raised my voice or I said things that weren't true or hurtful or wrong. I brought fear into the family or um, after sinful desires or whatever it would be and to come to my kids and say, um, I'm not worthy I'm not worthy, but let me tell you who is. When I said those things, it was wrong, and here's why, because here's what God says. When I raised my voice, I never should have, and here's why. Forgive me. Let me remind you how worthy our God is. Those are the moments where I believe that God has been lifted up, and it's, it takes the pressure off you and I, and it puts the spotlight. My kids in are left not with dad is awesome, but left with God is awesome. And dad is needy, and so am I. Second, Second reason why living for God's glory brings rest, he is for his glory. God is for his glory. He leads us for his namesake. If he leads us for his namesake, then he wants to be glorified. He's not like, and I'll lead you through right paths uh, for my namesake, but I'm not really into my namesake. But I don't know if it'll really work out. But I'm going to keep it just super mysterious and hard, and you're never going to figure it out. No, God is actually for his glory. He is for his name. Right? His fame. It's exhausting, is it not? And I've been there before to wonder, God, what is your will? What are you doing? Like, have you ever had those times where you're like, just God, speak to me? If, if you would just give me a sign, I mean, God, you know that I'll obey you. Just why won't you make it clear? Have you had that before? It's exhausting. I think something that will help is what theologians call, um, or they define the will of God in this way. So you have um, the will of God understood in two different ways. One is uh, his, his secret will. His secret will. Okay. Now get ready for this definition. It's going to be really, really mind-blowing. His secret will is things he keeps secret. Okay? It's things he keeps hidden. Think about Job. I love the book of Job. God never says, oh, I'm sorry, Job. That was confusing and awful and dark. Here, let me tell you what happened. So Satan entered the throne room. We had a conversation. No, he doesn't say that. Job didn't read the book of Job. He didn't know that. At the end, he didn't say, like, I'm sorry, this went on, this went on, this went on. Oh, and I left your wife who was crazy. Like, but here's why I did it. He doesn't do that. He says, Job. And what does he do? He doesn't explain himself. He doesn't have to. He reminds Job of who he is. I have a secret will. I am sovereign God, and all that I do is good. Job, were you here when this happened? Did you do this? And the answer is no, 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 no. God, forgive me. He has a secret will, and it is good. He also has a revealed will. The definition for that is 
These are the things that he has revealed. Okay, he's revealed them. How has God revealed his will to us? Well, he speaks to me in dreams, and I have these, these impressions, and here's how. He's given us the written word of God. The times when I've screamed, God, just speak to me. I didn't want this. I wanted something different. I wanted something that would just speak to my flesh. He's given us his revealed word through his written word, and the word points us to Jesus Christ, who is the word. He has revealed his will to us. Paul Tripp says, says it this way. It'll be on the screen there for you. He has revealed just the right amount. And if we live by his revealed will, we can live at peace, not knowing his secret will. Isn't that amazing? He has revealed himself to us through the written word of God. And it is just the right amount. It is what we need. And because of that, we can live at peace not knowing his secret will. So are you being obedient? Are you walking in righteousness? Then that is his will. It is for his glory, and you can rest in that. Third and finally, he will finish what he has started. While living for God's glory brings rest, he will finish what he started. When he started leading you, when the Lord uh, saved you, it was for his glory. It wasn't for something different. Sometimes people I've heard on the radio, a preacher say, you know why he saved you? He saved you because you're the most precious thing uh, of, that he's ever had. Not true. You and I are precious, made in the image of God. Yes, that's true, but that's not the reason that he saved us. He saved us, and David says it here clearly, so does the rest of the word, for his namesake, for his glory. And if he started that way, he's going to finish that way. He doesn't start for his glory and then end for some other reason. End with a focus on you. End with your works or your performance. Uh, Plummer says it this way. William S. Plummer says, That which moves God to save his people is found not in them. Okay, just even a pause there. It is exhausting if you look to yourself wondering, Will my shepherd continue to shepherd me? I mean, is he still my shepherd? And he says, that which moves God to save his people is not found in them. If God found in himself cause for beginning our salvation, and if he never changes, then shall he find in himself cause for crowning, our, uh, crowning with glory the work of salvation begun in us. What he's saying is, God finishes what he starts. He starts it for his glory. He's going to finish it for his glory. If he is your shepherd, he will remain your shepherd forever. This is so comforting. He started you on paths of righteousness for his namesake. You can rest knowing that he's going to see you through to the end. So, I want to uh, end with the question that I started us with. How are you? How are you? How are you this morning? Are you needy? Do you know that... Um, you were lost this morning? Do you know that you are helpless and still under your sin? Could it be today and you don't know what tomorrow holds that today you realize that you are a sinner in need of grace? That only, um, only our great shepherd, Jesus Christ, can save your soul? Do you know that today? If that is the case, 
then I'm telling you what was told to me when I was young in church once. And do not wait. Uh, the enemy, even our flesh, will fight against what's been shared in the Word today. But let me tell you, if you were not in Christ and you were in your need and your need has left you wanting, you cannot relieve guilt and sin. You cannot stand before the Lord one day in and of yourself. You need Christ who is the shepherd who became one for the sheep, died and rose again. And would you trust in him? Today you need to. If you believe it and, and you understand it now, then repent and believe. I want to ask the question for the rest of us that we would say, he is my shepherd. Are you, uh, how are you? Can you say, I am needy, but I am resting? Oh, let me tell you how needy I am, but I have found rest. Is that you? My shepherd provides rest for the needy. My shepherd provides rest by providing himself. He does it by providing restoration. He does this, and he provides right paths for his glory. And it is plain that those who trust in him will find rest.